To keep across all of the latest information and content from The Open, follow the Championship's social channels today. Just search for The Open's verified accounts on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok and LinkedIn and enjoy a range of features, news, videos, images and audio from golf's original major. You're listening to The Open Podcasts. St Andrews, a town stony grey but warm of heart. Here lies a golf course. Carved from the shoreline on which it sits, it is an old course in the truest sense. It is the old course. One of the widest landing grounds in golf. There it is, oh, beautiful straight, right up by the flag. Since the 15th century, its fairways and greens have evolved with the game, but its allure has remained the same. He got out. Not only that, he got near. In its first 12 years, Willie Park and Messrs Morris, Old and Young dominated the Open Championship at Prestwick. But when the Open was first held at St Andrews in 1873, it was a man named Kidd, Tom Kidd, who prevailed, becoming the first golfer to claim the claret jug. Oh, what a great shot that is. The Open had returned to St Andrews a further 28 times since then, as true greats of the game secured their legacies by taming the old course. And there, oh, it's a staggering shot. Look at that. James Braid, J.H. Taylor, Bobby Jones, Sam Sneed, Peter Thompson, and a true master of the links, Jack Nicholas. Oh, he's got it, he's got it. All have triumphed at the home of golf. Such a class, baby. And he's just on each Seve Ballesteros brought irrepressible style. Faldo flourished. And he's made it, he's made it. And at the turn of the millennia, one man roared. Oh, well done. In 2022, the old course would play host once again. Oh, and for the 30th time to golf's original championship. That is a roar that will be heard all the way back to the team. Everything had led to this. The 150th Open at St Andrews. I'm Hazel Irvin, and over two episodes, I'll be your guide for an Open unlike any other. The 150th Championship was always destined to be big, but few could have imagined the impact this celebration of sport would have on all those who were a part of it. But when a host town lives and breeds golf like St Andrews, that was never going to be in doubt. My name is Scott Harold, and I'm the senior golf instructor at St Andrews Links Academy. So I've lived in St Andrews now for, for roughly nine years. This will be, I think, my ninth season, my ninth summer uh, at the academy itself. I'd been coming here for, for years. I'm a, I'm a Glasgow boy, so it's only two hours down the road for me. So we, we used to come here a lot in, this, in the summer for even a day or a day trip and play some golf. In terms of what attracted me to the town, it's essentially just the history and, and, and it's, uh, its regard for, for golf. So St Andrews for golfers is a rite of passage anyway. Throw in the 150th Open and it's absolutely next level. I'm Ali Whitaker and I was the lead commentator on the TV World Feed at the 150th Open at St Andrews. This is a small coastlined 
semi-country Scottish town and all of a sudden everyone who's anyone in the sport of golf was walking those streets right next to each other. It was such a leveller as well. That's one thing that St Andrews has always done. The people that go to watch sit next to the players in the hotels. They see them walking down the street. It makes golf cool, the town of St Andrews. There's always a buzz about it. There's always something going on. And then that just gets exaggerated when the Open's on. You know, thousands and thousands of people obviously arrive and everything's just taken up a, a few scales, essentially. It's, it's a really unique place. It's, it's an incredibly happy place to be. Amidst a landscape where golf dominates, the first visible signs of an impending Open came in the spring. It was really kind of start of April that you started to really get a feel for, okay, the Open's coming, it's going to be here in 12, 13 weeks. The area changes in its appearance, really. These massive tents spring up and you've got the retail buildings, you've got your hospitality, and, and then the grandstands, you know, going around the different holes and so forth. There was players who were out on the golf course practicing three, four, even five weeks before. Justin Rose, if I remember, turned up probably a good three and a half weeks before the, the tournament itself. He played four or five practice rounds within the space of three days. You know, word gets around the town that some of the players are out on the golf course and people start to kind of filter out and just watch them. And, and I'd say at that point it's great because people can get up and close and they can watch them. It wasn't just the players who were looking to perfect their preparations well in advance of the 150th. Evan Priest, a writer for Golf Digest was facing one of the biggest weeks of his career as well. I had never covered a Open before that, even though I'd covered the PGA Tour for five years. So it was a pretty cool uh, Open to pick for my first one. And I, and I felt, you know, I'm going to make a bit of, bit of a trip out of it. So I went through Ireland, which is one of my favourite places in the world to play golf. And I went through Northern Ireland and played Rory McIlroy's home course, actually, Hollywood Golf Club there in Belfast. And you could just feel the anticipation, even in Ireland, even in Northern Ireland, even back in the States where I live, the 150th just really had a different, I would almost say the hype was biblical. You know, it was just, everyone knew this was going to be epic. Everyone knew that sort of, you know, to use the slogan of the Open, everything had led to this. Adding to the excitement was the prospect of the return of a true master of the old course. No, Tiger, can he drive it? You're a man, Tiger! He certainly doesn't need any help, does he, to encourage him along? Uh, please go in. Oh, well done. I'm John McGuinness. I'm a former PGA Tour player turned broadcaster and was lucky enough to be at the 150th at St. Andrews. When I played with Tiger for the first time, it was in his third or fourth professional event, and he was this whip-skinny kid who, you know, lashed at it with a ferocity that we'd never seen before. I watched him hit a two iron on a par five on the third hole. We played together from 270 to the front. And remember back then he had fluff caddying for him. Then I looked at fluff and said, what the, and I won't say the words, what was that basically? Then fluff looked at me and said, it's not advice for me to tell you that's his two iron. He carries it about 275. And I said, it's not advice because, you know, I'm averaging 268 off the tee. <laughs> Tiger Woods' revolutionary era in golf was highlighted at St Andrews in 2000 when he became the youngest player to complete the career Grand Slam. 
Then, five years later, again at the old course, he would go wire to wire, leading from start to finish to capture the claret jug once more. <laughs> and that's an marvellous shot, so that green is falling away from him. Another example of the huge skills he possesses. I think in 2000, we just simply expected Tiger to win. We had seen what John Daly had done in 1995 with his power, so it seemed logical that the most powerful player in the game, and as we've come to learn, the smartest player in the game and all of those things that uh, were going to come to fruition uh, for Tiger. And, and it seemed, you know, it seemed like just a, a, a coronation again in, in 05. Tiger and the old course were old friends. But since his last appearance in St Andrews in 2015, the strains upon this most storied of golfing lives had become more apparent. What's more, in 2021, Woods had faced the biggest challenge of his career, a car crash that would put him out of that year's Open and nearly cost him so much more. For the most part of the, my rehab was just, the f I was hoping that I, I could walk again, you know, walk normal and, um, and have a, a normal life and maybe play a little hit and giggle golf, you know, with my son or my friends at home. But lo and behold, I'm, I've played championship golf this year. Woods had staged a remarkable comeback at the Masters earlier in 2022, defying the odds to make the weekend, and rekindled the dream of another loop at his favourite golf course of all. Once I realised that I could possibly play at, at a high level, you know, my, my focus was to get back here at St Andrews to uh, play in, in this championship, being the most historic one we've ever had. I just didn't want to miss this Open. You know, here at the home of golf, this has meant so much to me. This is where I completed the career Grand Slam. It meant a lot to me, and this venue has meant a lot. You get a lot of awkwardness at St. Andrews in terms of, uh, you know, the ball being in a bunker and your stance out, and, and you get all of those things. But just from a sheer physical uh, walk, it's a very pleasant walk. There's no great uphills or downhills. So we all were very optimistic about Tiger's chances uh, of playing well there. For him to, to be there, well, I mean, he said it better than anyone else. Uh, he doesn't know day to day what he's going to be able to do. And we know the end is coming. We, we just hope that there's a, it's a ceremonious end. Obviously, Tiger is always on everyone's mind. And, and a lot of people were wondering, you know, is, is this going to be it for Tiger and the Open at St. Andrews? You know, that was the number one storyline on everyone's mind. I think that anytime Tiger is on site, the needle goes up. When it comes to the 150th Open, it was already up there anyway, but I don't think that it would have felt right if he wasn't a part of the field. He's been such a huge part of the history of the game that it would have felt like something was missing if he hadn't been there. If Tiger back at the old course seemed right, it was entirely fitting he should be joined by other greats of the game. Since 2015, the Monday of a championship week at St Andrews has been set in motion with a four-hole exhibition. And for the 150th Open, this was set to be extra special. It's a very warm Scottish welcome to you, wherever you're joining us from around the world, to the home of golf, St Andrews. A town and a course that holds such a sense of homecoming for anyone that's played the great game of golf. And this week we celebrate the 150th Open. And we begin that today with a field of champions past, present and future. 
My memory of that day is that I was asked to cover an hour or two of lead for the event and ended up hosting the entire thing. <laughs> um, the hit and giggle that we all thought it was going to be ended up turning into probably an event that I think at the end of my career, I'm going to be the most proud that I was involved with in one way or another. The tone of the day, the players, the course, the town, encapsulated everything that golf is about all in one day. Amateur champions, disability athletes, and greats of the women's game were to be joined by past champion golfers of the year, including Woods, the irrepressible Lee Trevino, and a man hoping to define the week, Rory McIlroy. It was the first Open that I had played in uh, being a past champion. I missed 2015 because of injury, so to be involved in the challenge and play with Tiger and Trevino and, uh, and Georgia Hall, I really enjoyed spending some time with her too, and it's it was just amazing. The greatest of Open champions have a habit of producing moments that will live long in the memories. When Jack Nicklaus retired in the glorious sunshine at the 2005 Open, many had assumed he was waving goodbye to St Andrews for good. But with honorary citizenship of the city to be bestowed on Tuesday, the Golden Bear was back in town and back on the old course. As the 82-year-old joined Woods and McElroy's group on the Swilkin Bridge, the first picture-perfect scene of the 150th Open was about to play out. I've known the Nicholas family for a long time. Gary and I, the youngest Nicholas son, are the same age. And to see Mr. Nicholas at St. Andrews after he had said goodbye to St. Andrews and was being awarded the Citizenship Award and so he came back and I got a chance to, to speak to he and, and Barbara and Gary was there. All of his five children and their spouses were there. So it was it was just the core group, the core family. That sort of kicked the week off for me in understanding where we were. It's a time capsule that everybody that, that was there understands. This is a snapshot of the history of golf and the history of this game. Today's a great day for everybody to see all the old champions play. I wish I could have played, but I can't walk a hole. But anyway, that's that's all right. But uh, uh, it's nice to be here. Nice to see the guys on the first tee and here on the 18th green and say hello. And uh, then we have the champions dinner and then I'm, then I'm out of here. I'm going to let them go play golf. We often found ourselves watching the TV, not wanting to spoil the pictures because the pictures and the story from that day was enough anyway. When I was closing the show on that Monday, if you listen carefully to the end of the broadcast, I'm actually trying to keep it together. Ali Whitaker, we say thanks for spending time with us here on this truly special occasion. We look forward to your company throughout the rest of the week. The history of golf is so revered and you're basically surrounded by the legends of the game. I mean it was sort of one of those afternoons where I had to pinch myself because I'm like I can't this is this is so cool and I'm a massive fan of the history of golf and I I think it's really important to know who came before you to, to give you the platform that you're now on. For Rory I think there probably couldn't have been 
a better way to spend the Monday of the Open than playing the Celebration of Champions. I really do think that it empowered him for the week. Probably the second biggest storyline was, you know, Rory. Like, can Rory finally win another major, uh, his fifth major championship after eight years of not being able to do so? And, you know, for a guy that drives it so long, high and straight and strikes the ball as well as he does, there really was this expectation. You got a sense that he was listening to the to the pressure about his drought, you know, eight years without a major championship win. He He's a, a student of the game. He's a history student of the game, really, Rory. And he knows that famous quote by Jack Nicholas that you, you, your career is not complete as a golfer until you win an Open at St Andrews. Looking to stop McElroy was a plethora of the best players in the world, including Masters champion and world number one, Scotty Scheffler. Also amongst the favourites was the 28-year-old winner of that year's Players' Championship, the Australian Cameron Smith. I felt really good going into the week. I felt like my game the week before at the Scottish Open was kind of exactly where it needed to be. It was the first time I'd seen my coach in about two and a half years. He was able to get over to Scotland and uh, we just worked on a few things throughout the week and everything just felt really comfortable. It felt like, felt like something good was going to happen. They did some really good work together I think that week. They worked on his swing, they worked on some things and that really had put him in position to really have a crack at this Open Championship. I thought Cameron Smith was the third biggest storyline, you know, he, was, he had won the Players' Championship by one putting eight of his final nine holes. He was in form, he had won, won a Kapalua on the PGA Tour in, in Hawaii uh, in January, and he was really one of the form guys. Aside from a long-awaited reunion with his coach, Smith was keeping his preparations relaxed and distinctly Aussie. Tennis legend Ash Barty, she had just retired. She's a huge golf fan and her husband Gary is a friend of mine, he, he's a, uh, a golf pro. And so they, they made a big trip out of the open. And so they walked around in a practice round with Mark Leishman, Cameron and Adam Scott. And so there was this huge Aussie entourage playing the back nine on the Wednesday. And, you know, a bunch of them stopped for photos, not only on the Swilkin Bridge, but also with Ash on the Swilkin Bridge. So I've got a couple of great photos in my phone of the, th the three of those guys, Mark, Cameron and Adam with Ash Barty on the Swilkin Bridge. And it doesn't, doesn't really get more Aussie than, you know, successful Aussies overseas than, than that scene there. And just all of us sort of walking up the 18th fairway at St Andrews on the Wednesday afternoon, it was really iconic. As the happy Australian contingent posed for pictures, a few hundred miles south of St Andrews, one man's journey to the 150th Open was just beginning. The One Club, in partnership with MasterCard, is the best way to get closer to golf's original championship. Enjoy enhanced chances of securing future championship tickets. Sign up for free today at theopen.com. Aaron Rye. Very little green to work with. Oh, me. Englishman Aaron Rye had finished tied 19th at the Open at Royal St George's the year before, but his attempts to qualify for the 150th had come up just short. Up until that week, it had been a really long season, played a lot in America, and then came back to Europe and played the qualifier for the Open, the Irish Open, Scottish Open. I asked at the end of the week, the Scottish Open, what my chances were, and there's zero chance, like literally zero chance, not even 0 0.1, zero chance. 
I watched some of the build-up and obviously read some of the stories about St Andrews and some of the press releases, but I, I didn't give it a second thought of me being in the field. So I, I made the decision to put my clubs away. I didn't practice at all, which is really rare for me. Even, even in off weeks, I'm practicing most days. I went away with my family for a few days, just booked an Airbnb. I remember waking up on the Wednesday morning, seeing a message from Jonathan Tippett say give me a call and I thought oh no <laughs> you could be second reserve if you'd like to travel um so that's where it began <laughs> yeah I made some phone calls to my caddy hotels just arrangements of how we're going to get there I then had to go home pick my golf clubs up get my golf gear ready and it probably wasn't until four or five o'clock that we actually left to drive up to St Andrews which um which is about a seven eight hour drive for us from where we are in the UK so my caddy Jason has a camper van and he normally travels to the UK events in that and he normally stays in there during the week of the tournament. And because we found it really difficult to book accommodation on the Wednesday afternoon when we were notified that we may have to travel, we thought the only option was to stay in his camper van. Driving up on that Wednesday where we just spoke about a lot of things and caught up about things outside of golf. We still didn't really believe we would tee it up the next day. We thought it was quite unlikely for two people to withdraw on the day of the tournament. And also, uh, Jonathan had told us that it had never happened in the previous 30 years that he'd been doing this job. So the chances were still very slim. So we were we were excited, but we also really tried to manage our expectations as well. I think we got there for about 1.30 a.m. By the time we drove there and stopped off a couple of times, and we stayed the Wednesday night on site at St. Andrews in his camper van, we somehow got in without having a pass um, <laughs> and we parked probably 50 yards away from the players lounge <laughs> i just remember it being really cold <laughs> uh he, he has two bunks he took the top bunk which was a little less comfortable so uh, that was nice of him to do that for me but then we had to register ourselves at 5 a.m because we had to be there before the first person teed off so probably had three hours sleep Good morning everyone and welcome to St Andrews, the home of golf, for the first day's play of the 150th Open. As the bleary-eyed Rye waited to see if he'd be teeing it up at all on Thursday, a much better rested former champion had the honour of hitting the first shot of the 150th Open Championship. On the tee from Scotland, Paul Laurie. A lovely reception for the 1999 champion golfer of the year. Play away. By mid-morning, some of those firm favourites were underway as well. It's Roy McIlroy, also with an iron in hand, playing this one low, flighting it from right to left. Lovely shot. I think because the first fairway is so wide, it's almost more nerve-wracking because it's like, geez, what, you know, if you miss this fairway, you know, you're in for a rough day. But once I got the first tee shot out of the way, I think the, the pin was cut so close to the burn that I was like, you know, just middle of the green, whatever, a little bit of adrenaline, you're excited, you're starting the open, you know, hit it 50 feet behind the pin. Oh, it's gone a bit, a bit safe. I just wanted a two-putt. I just wanted to, you know, if I could sort of get it within three feet, tap it in, go to the next hole, you know, at least my open is, is off and running. 
So for that for that ball to drop and 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 to make birdie at the first, I mean, was a massive bonus. But it it was a really nice way to settle me into into the round. And um, obviously, I continued that um, you know with a with a great 66 to open. What a start from McElroy. A birdie at the opening hole. You're hyped up all week to get started. You visualize that so many times. And that's, that's no real surprise to me. McElroy was in the groove, finishing the day six shots up on playing partner and defending champion Colin Morikawa. One group behind, a hard-hitting Norwegian was certainly getting to grips with the old course. To Victor Hovland. He's got another chance here at the third. This to go two under through three. It was a little bit overwhelming, a little bit, because uh, that was my first time there. Obviously, heard a lot about the place, but when I was there for the first time, I was kind of letting it all sink in. There's obviously so so much history there, and you can kind of feel it in the walls when you're there. So it was a little bit surreal. Oh boy, that's worse than Morikawa's lie. That one's going to be difficult to get out, I think. Just right up against that face. I've played a decent amount of links golf, grown up, playing junior golf in, in Europe. So I kind of I kind of knew the game plan. I knew what I had to do, avoid the bunkers. Although the first first day, I, I still managed to, to find them in, in, in some bad places. Oh my goodness me, this is the thing of nightmares. Victor Hovland, and not for the first time, I should say today, in a horrendous position. Honestly, what if I just take an unplayable? Yeah because then I have to drop it in the bunker. Yep. Yeah, I think this and is I a good decision. Right He's going yep. to drop Probably it into a plug lie, but having a plug lie is just going to come out without any spin, so it's just going to roll forward. What I liked about that is the maturity he showed. Wasn't getting all emotional, blaming how bad the lie was, took it all in his stride, went through his options. I thought I did a very good job of, of managing the mistakes. It could have been a lot worse, and I had a really nice start. I remember I think I was two under through three, and then I kind of gave some shots back, but I had a really nice finish. Uh, come on, Victor. Oh, yes, in it goes. Well done. Well, Victor Hovland with a really muscular finish here. Three birdies in the last closing three holes to take him to four under par for the Open Championship on day one. For Cameron Smith, the ultra-relaxed Australian, the feel-good factor from Wednesday's practice was more than evident in the early stages of his opening round. Now Cameron Smith, second green. And dialing it up from long distance. The Australian is off and running now. What suggested to me that, that Cameron was dialed in was he had 28 putts on that first day. And your first competitive round as a professional at St Andrews, if you have 28 putts on those huge greens at St Andrews, you're doing pretty well but I suppose one of the shots that stood out for me was on the on the fifth hole of the par five he got up and down from this enormous greenside bunker and I thought if he's getting up and down from greenside bunkers like that at St Andrews and he's, he's able to negotiate those those devilish little pot bunkers I think it's going to be a good week. While Smith's putting prowess carried him to an impressive 67 it would be another Cameron who proved to be Thursday's pace setter. Now here's Cameron Young for birdie at two. There's a nice putt. Well, you could watch him all day on the range. He destroys a golf ball. Sure does, three second place finishes and two thirds already in his rookie season over there. Oh, I just remember it feeling very easy. 
Um, we didn't have a ton of wind. And I think we just executed kind of what we planned to do very well. You know, I played some nice golf. I made a few putts. You know, it was just a day that it didn't feel too hard. I, I wasn't making many mistakes. I didn't really have any chances to make bogeys. I birdied the holes that you're supposed to. Par fives and 18 and, you know, I don't know, I don't remember exactly if I birdied nine and 10, but I think I birdied nine maybe. So yeah, I think it was just one of those days that I did, did a lot of things right and it, it felt pretty easy. Look how burnt the ninth is, and he's gone from over the back of the green. He's got a lovely, simple kick in. He's got a five under through front nine. Wow. So Cameron Young was a well-known talent before he got to the Open, provided you were from the US. The one thing I knew, I knew how much he was from a golfing family. His father is actually a, a club pro at a very famous New York golf course called Sleepy Hollow. So I'm sure that his father would have taken a bunch of Sleepy Hollow members over to Scotland for trips like club pros normally do. A few of us reporters unearthed a really nice story with, with Cameron that week that, you know, when he was travelling to St Andrews as a 12-year-old as a or I think it was 11-year-old with his father, uh, he actually had to seek permission to play the back night at St Andrews for whatever rule there might have been in place, even though he was by that age he was probably a scratch golfer. Good looking line. Yeah. That's brilliant. Man. Good looking line, great looking shot. He's got it all working right now. I felt very much the same standing there on the first tee this year, you know, playing practice rounds for the Open as I did when I was about 12 or 13, playing it with my parents. I think we finished on 18 uh, at about 9.45 in the pitch black. It was so dark, you could hardly see, but I think we have a photo of the three of us uh, on the bridge there, like literally in the dark. Uh, I remember that like it was yesterday. Got the driver here. That's very aggressive. Very aggressive. And he's ripped it down. Absolute perfect line. With Cameron Young, he was a, a rookie on the PGA Tour who had already shown us in the U.S. what he was capable of, the golf swing. You, you take notice of it uh, as a golfer with the pause at the top, the unleash of power from there. And then the results. The results started and they just kept coming. Five runner-up finishes. Uh, early in his in his rookie year. To shoot 64 was obviously eye-opening to a lot of the world that didn't know him. What we knew was that he wasn't gonna go away. One of the things we really worked on during the practice rounds was kind of trying to adapt to what you wanted to do in certain wins. You know, it's, it's a course where you have to be very careful off the tee. There's times that the left fescue is totally fine and the right side of the fairway is very difficult. So I think, I think just the general plan of trying to give ourselves, you know, the best chance to hit greens and, and to make it simple where it could be complicated was was an important part of that. At seven under par, can he make it eight under par? And he can, and he can. But at last, his putting touch has returned. What a round of golf. 64, that is eight under par. And Cameron Young, at this stage, Halfway through the first round of the 150th Open at St Andrews, leads the field. As Young plotted his way to a faultless round, Aaron Rye got the call that made his last dash journey the night before all worth it. I think it was about half eight, we found out that I think Justin Rose had withdrew, so the first reserve was, was in. 
and then probably two hours after that, I would say around between 10 and 11 o'clock, we found out that Eric Van Rooyen withdrew. We spoke of Aaron Roy probably about a, a, one hour ago about being on the putting green and potentially being there all day, but he's only spent one hour putting. He's in the field now, so amazing that two players have been called up already this morning and we're only approaching 11 a.m. But Aaron Roy replaces Eric Van Rooyen and Roy slept. Which worked out well because he had an afternoon tea time of again somewhere between 1 and 2 p.m. so that at least gave us some time to prepare and and kind of go through our normal routine. Aaron Rye who was an alternate at his final hole of the day. A lot of fond memories overall. I think with how the week had shaped before that my expectations were pretty low. It is very hard to turn up to to any tournament let alone the Open Championship against the best players in the world. This is an opportunity that 24 hours ago didn't exist to be here and to have the opportunity to, to play in the 150th Open at St Andrews is, is special. So whatever comes of it is just a bonus. Enjoy it, stay focused and, and do my best. To compete in any Open is very special, but to compete in, in that particular one at St Andrews was um, was a dream come true really just to, just to be there. So yeah, it means a lot to me and yeah, hopefully Hopefully I can play in a couple more. Considering his lack of preparation and even less sleep, Rye had done well to get round the old course in 75 blows. As he walked the fairways after a whirlwind 24 hours, he'd have noticed a buzz building and growing ahead of the tea time of one man in particular. Ah, there's the great man. Not one single person out here that's not looking forward to watching Tiger Woods. Well, I was doing the broadcast for American Radio, and I spent a few minutes on the putting green right there beside the first tee, just watching Tiger warm up, and he had the game face. He had the focus that we're very familiar with, and, of course, the, the massive stands right there lining the first uh, erupt as he takes the tee. The announcement is uh, something that that, that you, you read about. I mean, Tiger being announced on the first tee at St. Andrews has everyone on their feet. This is game number 45. On the tee from the USA, Tiger Woods. It's not a particularly challenging uh, driving hole. He hits iron down there. As the radio broadcaster, you try to be ahead of the event because you have to describe to the listening audience where the ball ends up. And so I was right in the landing area as that ball trickled and then we could see it lean over into the divot. Tiger's got 114 from quite a meaty divot, not ideal. With the front pins here, he'll be looking one place, and that's the fat part of this green. I made my way past the first green, uh, partially down two, so that Tiger was hitting at me. And unfortunately, you know, that, it was a it was a puff of dirt. It, it was an unclean hit. The, the rest is history. This has got to go. Mm, in the divot, in the drink for Tiger Woods. Golf continues to throw up things that you can't anticipate, no matter how much you prepare. And Tiger Woods was met with one after one shot. 
of the 150th open. It goes into the burn. He makes a double bogey. And all of a sudden, this place where he has been invincible set the tone for his week in a way. All of a sudden, you know, that, that love affair with the old course, it's like, oh, hello, old friend. And then the old friend goes, hi, I haven't seen you in a while. You should have visited more often. Where to? Oh, he's missed it. He's missed it. So Tiger starts with a double bogey, would you believe? Certainly not the start he would have wanted, not the start we would have wanted. It's Tiger. Double on the first hole is not necessarily devastating. But there was no momentum. Nothing good happened. I, I hesitate to... Did he birdie? Did he make a birdie on the front nine? I don't. I don't recall. There was no excitement uh, after that. It was. It was an unfortunate afternoon. Everybody out there. It, it's as if the energy was drained off the property as he made his way around the front. Really, it is very, very flat. Very quiet. He is putting to save par. The shout and in it goes. What a good putt that was. I, I think that. All you have to do, see the bitter disappointment on his face to realize how much being there meant to him, that to not be able to perform. I thought walking with him on Thursday, he was as devastated emotionally as I had ever seen him on the golf course because he honestly thought, if I'm going to win another one of these, this is the place that it's going to happen. Despite the mounting disappointment and inhibiting injuries, the sight of Woods' swing off the tee could still spark moments of real electricity. Even in the era of huge hitters that he himself had ushered in, it was the 46-year-old who would produce the longest drive of the day at the 14th. And look at that, still running. That's unbelievable, isn't it? It's just run out of the end of the fairway. It's like down a runway. Everyone within the game understands that he is doing very well to play. And the reason he is able to play is because he's Tiger Woods. Very few people could have survived physically the way that he has throughout his career, throughout the injuries, you know, throughout what happened with the car accident. The fact that he is still able to play the game, I mean, it's, it's nothing short of somewhat heroic. And in it goes this time, mercifully. So Tiger finishes with a 78, gets a wonderful reception, takes off his cap, and to all sides just acknowledges the support he receives. It had been a courageous performance, but a six-over-par opening round meant the great man's chances of making the weekend looked a distant hope. Others in danger of seeing their championship reach a premature end included world number three, John Rahm, and defending Open champion Colin Morikawa. But others in the golfing world's upper echelons fared better. World number one, Scotty Scheffler, stood within four shots of the Thursday night lead alongside Victor Hovland and Dustin Johnson. Cameron Smith sat one shot better than qualifier Robert Dunwiddie at five under par whilst Rory McIlroy emerged as Cameron Young's nearest challenger two shots back. There's so much pressure that comes along with leading any Open, let alone this one, that I was not surprised to see 
some of the best players in the game in the top 10 after day one. However, it was like the who's who of golf on that leaderboard and the people that weren't on the front page still somehow had a chance to be on that front page for the most part. The question of who was going to rise to the occasion was being answered very early on. Well, hello and welcome along to St Andrews on day two of the 150th Open Championship. It is seven o'clock, rise and shine. Where have you been? We've had play on the course for 25 minutes already. And the big news to bring you this morning is it's a little bit damp. There's plenty of drizzle and has been for at least the last two and a bit hours since I've been wide awake. Despite the drich conditions, Thousands arrived at the old course early on the Friday morning, with many hoping to catch the tea time of Tiger Woods. After the disappointment of the day before, many still harboured hope that the 15-time major winner could still recapture the magic that had defined his special career. Tiger Woods for birdie. Sets it off across the green. Stays down on it, likes it. And in it goes! In it goes! That's the Tiger Woods we know. A birdie for Tiger on the third. But as his round progressed, there was to be no miraculous Tiger turnaround. As he approached his final few holes of the 150th Open, the links, the road that runs alongside the 18th, began to swell with crowds. On the course he had made his own, it was time for Tiger to bid farewell. Was this to be his competitive goodbye to St Andrews? Absolutely nobody wanted to miss this moment. To the 18th tee, and to the one and only Tiger Woods. It was quite an interesting feeling on site because going into the week, none of us knew what this meant for Tiger Woods. None of us knew what was going to happen if he missed the cut. And so that journey down 18, everyone's eyes were on that and everyone was waiting with bated breath as to what he was going to do and what it would mean. Finished my round on Friday morning, well, maybe early Friday afternoon, and I saw that Tiger was about an hour behind that pairing. So I came in, I, I signed my cards, and then I walked back out to the 17th to catch him on the 17th team to walk the last two holes with him. I'm sure a lot of golfers of my generation have, have idolised Tiger. To have the opportunity to just watch him play those last couple of holes and I hope it's not his last open at St Andrews but in what could be his last open at St Andrews was was very special for me. Whether or not it's the last time we see him play competitively here at St Andrews and he has brought so much to the game hasn't he over the last 20 what eight years or so. I'll never forget sort of walking along the side, inside the inside the ropes and the rough there on the right-hand side of the 18th and just seeing the thousands of fans clamouring to get a look at this like iconic scene in the history of golf. Just that amphitheatre of the thousands of fans surrounding the 18th hole, it was really one of the more special moments I've witnessed as a reporter. I was literally on the 18th fairway just off to the side beside the fans. It was a, a moment that will, you know, will live with me. He was the reason that I probably got into golf. 
was nice. The map fit special for Mexico and we gave them a lot of room. And that was probably about 50, 60 yards behind them as well, just um, just kind of looking at, at everything that was that was taking place on the 18th. It was, it was very special. Takes his cap off, walks onto the bridge, waves, and walks down the other side. What a moment. And everyone knew immediately what that meant. I'm still walking. I'm still going. And the players over on the first. Rory McElroy just pauses for a moment, turns and applauds. I've gotten pretty close to Tiger over these last few years and after the accident and, and I think we've all sort of rallied around him down there in Jupiter and we all want to see him do well. I mean, he, he was all our hero growing up. And I think, you know, that's that's not the way to buy item. He's, he's got better than that in him. The emotion is clear. Just wiping a few tears away. It really is something very, very spectacular indeed. It just goes on and on and on. To me, Tiger is incapable of seeing the end. I, I'm a little fearful for the man that is Tiger Woods uh, when the game eludes him. And, you know, how is he going to fill the void that is trying to be the best player in the world? That's what that told me. He's not done yet. He, he wants to make this last as long as he possibly can. I keep asking my, myself, why? Why would you continue to push when you've already had one of the greatest careers in the history of the game? And I guess the answer lies in the success. He didn't party when he won a major championship. He got on his plane, he went home, and he was practicing the next day. That, that's a mindset that I can't even imagine. I prefer. Uh, the Shane Lowry method of enjoying a championship. But now comes the cheer for Tiger Woods. Taps it in and listen to the applause which rings out here on the 18th as Tiger Woods departs the scene, maybe for the last time, in an open at St Andrews. That remains to be seen. It was in that moment that I realized that we were in store for something very special, even in the absence of Tiger. As a still emotional Woods stepped off the 18th green, walking reflectively past the R&A clubhouse, perhaps for the final time in an Open Championship, a few hundred yards away, Rory McIlroy lined up a par putt on the first green. <laughs> History had been duly honoured on Friday. But the question of who would rise to the moment that week had yet to be answered. Hello. Hello. Incredible shot from Victor Hosnick. When I had an opportunity, I seized it. In the hole. The quiet man from Australia has let his clubs roar. I remember trying to take a sip of my water coming down the fairway and I really struggled to like hold it down. Yes! Yes! Cameron Young! Eagle 2 it's not every day you shoot 65 in the final round of a major in the second to last group and lose. Isn't it a wonderful shot? The rules go up. Oh, 
it's an amazing job from Rory. It's the Sunday of the Open Championship, trying to do something that is very coveted in, in our game. Next week on the Open Podcasts, the story of the 150th Open, Part 2. This has been an original audio production from The Open.